0: welcome to the next in our series of podcasts this episode we'll be looking at fatigue and answering your questions on a subject which could be one of the more common outcomes for people who are recovering from encephalitis and indeed other neurological illnesses or trauma that can cause injury to the brain. I'm delighted to be joined by Donna Malley, an occupational therapy clinical specialist at the Oliver Zangwill Centre for Neuropsychological Rehabilitation in Ely, which is in Cambridgeshire. I've known Donna for many, many years. She is, in my opinion, the foremost expert on the subject of fatigue post-acquired brain injury and has helped countless people during their recoveries from encephalitis and of course other neurological conditions some of our listeners may have been on the receiving end and benefited from some of her expertise even so Donna welcome to this podcast
1: thank you Ava that's very kind of you to
0: say (laughs) you're welcome um we've had several questions sent in by people in relation to the podcast so I'm gonna I'm gonna dive straight in um some of our listeners may be unfamiliar with the work of the Oliver Zangwell Centre. Can you just tell us a little bit about the centre and, and its day to day work and your role there?
1: Yeah, thank you. Yes. So the Oliver Zangwill Centre for Neuropsychological Rehab opened in 1996 um, uh, with Professor Barbara Wilson doing a lot of the work towards actually getting uh, that um, centre opened. Um, We are a group of um, an interdisciplinary team consisting of neuropsychology, occupational therapy and speech and language therapy supported by our crucial admin team and assistants who provide um, neuropsychological rehabilitation and assessment for people over the age of sort of 17, 18 who are experiencing interactive, cognitive, uh, communication, affective disorders or mood uh, uh, difficulties and regulating behaviour, um, uh, and who also experiencing some sort of sensory changes or fatigue issues so sort of not so much the uh, physical challenges that can result from an acquired brain injury but more of the kind of hidden challenges which mean that um, it makes it hard for them to participate in the things that they want to do in their everyday lives um, they have this sense of stuckness they may have been through uh, rehab services locally because we offer a national service but they still have this sense of stuck this sense of um, a feeling of a change in their uh, identity, if you like, a sense of who they were before their injury, and, and a wanting to get back to that and wondering about. What their life holds now in terms of living with what we now know to be a long-term neurological condition, when you have an acquired brain injury, um, and we support them and their families to try to make sense of this, um, develop a personalised toolkit of coping strategies, um, so that they can kind of try to live the lives that they want to lead and and kind of whatever their if you like, new normal is, as some people refer to it. So we do that as an, in an outpatient um, service. Um, so it's mostly people attending the center. Sometimes we go and meet with them in the community. And obviously in this uh, past uh, 18 months, the ability to, to do sessions online has been a huge um, benefit to continuing to support people, despite being a, not able to see them face to face.
0: Well, thanks. That's a a great overview. Um, I guess we should probably start at the beginning with what might sound like a very basic question. But but what is fatigue and how can it affect people that have been affected by encephalitis and other acquired brain injuries?
1: Okay, actually, what sounds like a really simple question is really tricky to answer. And this has perplexed uh, scientists and clinicians and researchers for many, many years. Um, And one of the challenges that fatigue presents is that it's commonly seen in a whole range of different medical conditions. Um, uh, I've seen it um, uh, in many different types of acquired brain injury survivors. Um, It's one of the kind of top things that people report that impacts on their ability to do the things that are important and meaningful to them. And it causes a huge amount of frustration. And yet, um, scientifically, we do not have an agreed definition, which makes it a very difficult thing to measure. It makes, um, it makes scientific research quite challenging, because what is it that we're actually researching into? Um, and so um, it's still something that perplexes us all. And yet, at the same time, we have this sense of when somebody comes to us and they describe feelings of exhaustion and um, inability to sustain their physical and mental activities um, to enable them to do the things that they want to do in the same way as prior to um, their acquired brain injury or encephalitis. you kind of know it when you see it and you know it when you feel it, but it's a hard thing to describe. And one of the things that I think is really important is, is listening to people's personal experience and, and kind of seeing the world through their eyes and, and kind of validating it as a thing that is something which is a symptom and does need to be um, addressed. Because I think that's one of the challenges associated when people are experiencing fatigue is a sense that other people say, oh yes, I get tired too. Um, and, And actually, not like after an an injury it is a wholly different experience in terms of its intensity Um, it feels very disproportionate to the activity that people um, feel that they have done they never know when they're going to have enough energy to do the things they want to do so when they have a little bit they often sort of try and crack on and do the things they want to do but then find that they kind of hit a wall and then can't do something for several days afterwards. So you get this kind of boom and bust kind of um, approach or a sense of feeling so concerned that they may end up feeling so fatigued and that being detrimental to their health that they may feel that they shouldn't maybe do anything at all. So they're kind of stuck between a bit of a rock and a hard place. So fatigue is Uh, um, An intense feeling where you feel like you don't have the physical or mental resources to initiate or sustain the activities that are important to you that enable you to live the life that you want to lead that's how I make sense of it.
0: Yeah, well, you touched upon um, an important point in there as well. I know Wumi, who's one of our members has, um, you know, when we were putting this podcast together, she mentioned how people who haven't had encephalitis compare their fatigue to hers. And you touched upon that, Um, you know, and fatigue for someone with an acquired brain injury is quite different to, I think, the the mental tiredness that, that the majority of the public might be able to identify with is, is there a clear divide between physical fatigue and neurological fatigue? Oh,
1: well, I kind of wonder whether, and this is a personal view, whether actually there's lots of continuance kind of going on. Um, I think it's very difficult to differentiate, um, a kind of normal physical fatigue, which or tiredness, which you would uh, kind of accept after a period of intense physical activity, um, uh, from the kind of um, sense of heaviness in the limbs. Um, just even lifting your head off the pillow might be really challenging. Um, and then the mental fatigue as well as the physical fatigue, which is often, um, you know, the two kind of can coexist or exist independently of each other, um, that we experience after sort of sitting and concentrating on a Zoom call like this for, for a period of time or what have you. So I don't, there are potentially many different factors that contribute towards a person's experience of fatigue. So some of that might be, uh, have a kind of neurological basis in as much as the actual pathology involved with whatever the neurological injury or, or disability or disease process is, affects areas in the brain that make it difficult for the brain to sustain its physical or mental functioning. Um, There's various regions that have been implicated in the literature, um, uh, and a lot of it is to do with the connectivity of various regions in the brain. and, and, And so we can't sort of, if you like, Poke a bit of the brain and say you're responsible for fatigue in the same way that we can poke a bit of the brain and say actually that bit controls that muscle in the body um it seems to be that when you are wanting to um direct your resources and maintain your mental and physical resources onto a particular activity i think there's now an appreciation that many different areas of the brain need to get involved in that process. And so the connectivity is, is um, you know, a maintaining uh, the connectivity and the communication between different areas of the brain so that we can keep on processing information that's coming in and producing the desired output. There's something that disrupts that that process at a kind of physiological level. On top of that, we then get um, changes in how we then try to do things, a kind of secondary consequence, if you like, which arises as a result of trying to compensate for those um, physiological changes caused by an initial injury. So we get a bit of a kind of double whammy situation. Um, So um, there are many different factors involved that actually might um, initiate and then maintain a kind of sense of of more chronic lasting persistent fatigue over time Um, and you know that's still an area of science that 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 we're we're trying to unpick and discover
0: okay well i'll ask you um another 64 million dollar (laughs) question before we move into uh some of the questions that have been sent in by people um who are experiencing fatigue or who have got family members who are um, you know what what are the headlines i suppose um in treating someone who's presenting with fatigue following an injury to the brain um w- what are the kinds of things that that can and should be done or considered right
1: um okay so um i think number one is validating a person's personal experience okay listening to and hearing their story and um, uh, you know acknowledging that fatigue is a thing is is incredibly important Um, um, uh, and that we can sort of try to help make sense of, of of at least some components of it and there are some tools out there that can be used to manage it to enable people to sort of kind of, I suppose, have a more of a sense of control over how and when and where they want to use their mental and physical resources. Um, we need to, what we tend to do at Oliver Zangwell is we, we base our intervention on a kind of a, a model or a, a framework which kind of tries to explain what can happen when people experience fatigue. So we look at some of the factors that might make an individual more vulnerable to experiencing fatigue as a result of their neurological injury or disease process. So not only, as we said, the primary physiology that might be going on as a result of, say, a a traumatic brain injury or an encephalitis process, but then there is the the kind of secondary knock-on consequences of not getting sufficient sleep perhaps because your sleep-wake cycle has been uh, disrupted, Um, how that can then have knock-on effects on your mood because if we don't get enough sleep, we tend to be a little bit more short-tempered, so on and so forth. It's then much more difficult to concentrate, for example, and so on and so forth. So that's what I mean by kind of primary and secondary consequences. And I think then there's also Um, kind of other more personal factors that might also contribute to a person's vulnerability, so if you're somebody that sort of perhaps um, has that sets very high standards for yourself, you know, nothing's ever good enough, so you're always on the go, always doing, um then you may be somebody that uh, that might sort of feel tired but still try and push on through it or maybe you've had i don't know an army background where that's what you've been trained to to do um it may be you have other medical conditions you know like an anemia or something that also contribute to um, to fatigue so what we try and do is step one is look at and understand um, as many of the vulnerability factors as possible. We then try to help people understand some of the um, situations or activities that could act as if you like triggers to their fatigue experience. So some of the common situations that commonly, um, uh, where people report fatigue are things like being in busy, noisy social environments, because that's they're getting lots and lots of sensory input and perhaps their brain is really struggling to process all of that information at once. And so it kind of, it's a bit like having, I often say, uh, lots of apps open on your mobile phone. Um, it draws down the battery on your mobile phone so much quicker than if you were just using your phone to make calls. So, you know, the more stimulation from various sources that your brain is getting, the more information it's having to process, the quicker your, if you like, internal energy resources are likely to be drawn down. So we try to understand the things that are likely to quickly drain the batteries or resources, but also the things that can replenish, because we know we can plug our smartphones in and, and recharge the battery. So there will be activities that people are doing that maybe they... Um, do deliberately or don't realize are actually replenishing and recharging and obviously an obvious one would be you know sleep but it's not appropriate to always sleep during the day so therefore what we need to do is think about um, uh, other activities so sometimes just going out getting some fresh air getting some daylight we all know what it's like sitting in front of a screen over this past years you have to get up move around go elsewhere give your brain a rest. So trying to find out what what helps replenish us physically and mentally is really important too. We then have to sort of think about Is the individual aware of fatigue actually as it's coming on? Do they pick up warning signs early enough? And for many, many individuals, that's not the case. They tend to really struggle until the point at which the fatigue, you know, the resources are so low that actually all you can do is just stop. And if we could potentially tune into some warning signs earlier on, then perhaps we have a little bit more resources and choice at that point in time about whether we choose to continue and draw down on resources or whether we can stop and delegate or leave this to another time. And then we think about other coping strategies that might help. What are the things we do that might be understandable, like... Drinking lots of energy drinks is one that I know is really common, but those energy drinks have lots of caffeine in and therefore those people are also people probably say my sleep isn't great, which is the big recharger, and so we get into a cycle of then. Um, uh, becoming reliant on caffeine and external products to keep us going when actually maybe we need to think about alternative um, options so we're looking at things like planning pacing um, how can we use less resources less effort and get the same desired output that kind of thing so what we try to help people to see is that there's kind of cycles that can come from having persistent fatigue? And can it be possible under certain conditions to break some of those cycles so that we feel like we have a bit more control over how and when we use our
0: resources? Wow. Well, that sounds great. Um, We'll look at, I think now, maybe some of the questions that have been sent in by individuals. Um, And I think this first one is is a good one. Um, We've got quite a few questions, so (laughs) we're going to have to... um, Not surprised. (laughs) I know, I know. Um, So Ian asks, he says, can improving your overall fitness help lessen the effect of fatigue or will it still impact to the same level regardless of how fit you are?
1: Um this is a tricky one. It's a really good question, Ian, because um, in general, if you you know physical uh, fitness and maintaining a good diet uh, and, and being healthy in that kind of a way can be um, really helpful for some individuals. Um, uh, But there is also the case that there are certain mechanisms associated with certain types of fatigue, and this seems to be potentially something that's coming through from people who suffer with fatigue following, um, uh, or as part of a long COVID as we're calling it at the moment, but also um, chronic fatigue syndrome and my um, ME, um, where physical activity and grading physical activity is actually not necessarily going to be helpful for every individual. It can actually be detrimental to some. Um, and so um, there's some uh, new guidance that's starting to emerge around that. So it's not the case that everybody who is experiencing fatigue should necessarily Um, uh, be increasing their activity levels regardless of how they feel it's very much I think the approach is about trying to work within and learn what your resources are get to a baseline and then see if you can gradually improve over time and take um, advice from um, uh, uh, physiotherapists to help grade the level of exercise um, that that you might participate in. Um, So definitely that's become an area that Uh, the advice has perhaps changed in more recently um, as a consequence. So the NICE guidelines for um, uh, ME and chronic fatigue syndrome would be a good place to to look if you want more information as a professional. Um, It's also the case that uh, many people that I meet say that doing physical activity helps replenish their mental energy. So, you know, um, whereas uh, traditionally, if we sort of think about physical fatigue as something like, well, we'd need to go and sit down um, uh, and physically rest, so we assume that that same process will help us after we might be mentally a bit overloaded. Actually, it's not necessarily the case. Our brain can still continue to whir around and try to use resources just it doesn't stop just because we're necessarily physically still. So, actually, going out and do something physically can help just quieten the brain a little bit and conserve uh, mental resources. So, it, it, what again, what sounds like a fairly sensible, straightforward question does not necessarily have a straightforward answer. So, it's very much working with a health professional to work out whether gr- a graded exercise approach is right for that individual with their particular diagnosis
0: and set of other you know circumstances. Thank you that's fascinating I'm interested you know it's a long time since I've done stuff around fatigue so it's interesting to see hear how things have changed um, in that area and good to hear as well you know because I think change means progress Um, But Ian was also asking, and again, it may be um, that it's a very individual thing, but he wondered about um, sleep patterns. He wondered whether it's better to um, to take power naps throughout the day or to sleep for longer, you know, have one big, long hit. Okay. (laughs) Oh,
1: gosh, you're asking all the contentious area questions. (laughs) Um, No, but that's good. And this is, you know, this is why there's there's still so much to understand and learn about in relation to fatigue. And they're very kind of common sense, sensible questions to ask. The majority of the evidence suggests that power naps taken before four o'clock in the afternoon so that they don't disrupt your normal circadian rhythms and and sleep process overnight, which is your big, if you like, recharger, physically and mentally, um, can be taken. Uh, And by a power nap, most people sort of say, certainly less than sort of 20, 30 minutes. Okay, Uh, the advice seems to be that taking uh, a nap at the same time each day is more helpful than just as and when because what you're trying to do is help your brain to understand when it needs to be kind of awake and alert and processing and when it's kind of if you like powering down a little bit Um, speaking to various people and reading reading around the topic there are different schools of thought as to whether sleeping for longer than 20 or 30 minutes is a good idea or not. So I have heard an argument for actually the fact that we tend to sleep in different phases, four different phases, um, uh, and they go in cycles throughout the night. Um, Actually, for some people, it may be that Sleeping through, if you like, a whole sleep cycle, the whole four phases, which can take roughly an hour, hour and a half on average, um, might be useful to think about for some people. So I think what you're starting to hear is a theme from me about whatever the intervention package is, I think whilst there are some common themes, it really needs to be individualized to that person. Um, There's no one size fits all. um, And it's a process of um, learning, maybe through trial and error, but rather than a whole trial and error approach, but just actually kind of thinking, what what works for me and just shifting one thing at a time and seeing what difference it makes rather than trying to chuck too many ideas and changes into the pot at once and then not knowing which might be more helpful or not so in general most people 30 minute power nap roughly the same time and typically early afternoon because that's when our energy levels tend to dip anyway may be helpful for uh, the majority of people um, and trying to avoid napping after four o'clock in the afternoon would be
0: uh would be highly desirable um if at all possible well that sounds like a great place um to start um i hope this isn't going to be another contentious question but (laughs) we, we had a question in from andrew and he wanted to know what the role of diet was on fatigue um Um, It's probably not, well, is it a contentious
1: question? It's an area that I personally feel least knowledgeable to answer, if I'm going to be completely truthful. I think um, I'm not entirely sure that the evidence base is particularly um, agreeing on whether certain things like dietary supplements might be more useful or not. I'm sure there's lots of anecdotal evidence and evidence on social media. And I think people always need to um, be very mindful about that and and perhaps ask a health professional um, like their GP um, about um, uh, if if taking supplements and things like that would be helpful. I think um, one of the things that um, my dietitian colleagues have told me is that what's called slow release or more complex carbohydrates help to keep the energy levels sustained over a period of time, more than what we traditionally reach for as our quick fixes, like the, um, uh, chocolate bars, um, or the, the energy drinks, if you like, because what they do is they give us a quick energy boost, but then they seem to have a kind of, um, uh, a, a, then an energy drop fairly quickly afterwards. So, um, so, so complex carbohydrates, you know, brown bread sandwiches are better than white, for example, are likely to uh, sustain the energy for longer. But again, no one size, size fits all. Um, uh, so, yes, looking at diet can be helpful. And again, it's sort of thinking about for that individual, what amount of energy do I need for the kind of activity I'm trying to, to do?
0: Yeah. That sounds like good advice. Well, I'm going to move us on now into um, uh, another realm associated um, with uh, fatigue, which is the role of technology. Um, We live in this world that's increasingly um, and more so now than ever, I think, you know, post um, or in the middle of COVID or post COVID becoming, you know, a world that's dominated by technology. Um, And we've had some questions in around the role of technology in fatigue. And the first one was Sarah wants to know if there are smartphone apps or any technology in general that can be used to ensure that someone gets adequate rest or sleep.
1: Short answer is no. Uh, Longer answer is there are lots and lots of apps and gadgets and tech out there that can help us to gather information, data, about what might work well for us in certain domains. So for example, there are apps that track our sleep versus our physical activity. but the reliability of those apps, I think, is still something that needs further refining and development. Um, Personally, I think that monitoring in whichever way you find it easy to do that, yeah, how many hours sleep do I think I've had? Do I feel like I feel refreshed? That kind of thing is as useful as evidence gathered by tech. So um, now it might be because I'm a bit of a technophobe, but I, I do think that we shouldn't rely too much on tech. But I do think it's going to be an area that expands hugely. Um, It's not an area that I can personally keep up with all the time. So if you find a particular app or piece of tech useful, um, please discuss with your clinician how you can maximise its benefits for you as an individual, Um, uh, because there are things it can tell you and things it can't. Um, So, yeah, uh, sorry that I can't be uh, more and sort of say here's the perfect app for you, it's also something I'm not allowed to do, even with my NHS hat on, but um, there are lots of things out there, but it's kind of gathering evidence from many different sources, I think is probably what I'd say. Yeah,
0: well... Um on the uh, on the flip side of this, uh, another one of the questions um, that we had in was from someone who they said they just can't understand how um, if they're sat down watching television and in their view, taking it easy. How can they feel so mentally exhausted afterwards? How does that happen? And, and, and how can they make sense of that?
1: Um. Okay, I'll put my occupational therapy hat on here. And I think what we um, don't always appreciate when we're sort of doing something, let's take the example of, of sitting down and physically resting to watch some television. We're still trying to um, process the visual information that we're getting from the screen and from other people maybe coming and going in the world around us. We're trying at the same time to process the auditory information, the things that we're hearing from, from the TV screen and again, screen out noise perhaps from what's going on around us. We're trying to process the story, the meaning, if we're watching, say, a soap or following a film or watching sporting activity. So actually, our uh, mentally, our brain is having to do a heck of a lot of information processing. And that uses energy. And that's why it can be mentally quite tiring for people to sit and watch TV and try and follow the plot and so on and so so forth. So this is the difference between, this is why we were sort of saying, acknowledging that fatigue has um, mental components, physical components, and for some people, more like an emotional component, if you like. So not just part of the the thinking skills associated with our uh, uh, things like concentration, attention, remembering information, decision making, but then the emotional impact of having to deal with all of of this and the changes. And some activities load certain types of energy or resources more than others. And that's why finding which are the drainers for us and which are the things that replenish us isn't always straightforward. We need to kind of acknowledge that kind of balance. And that's why often combinations of different types of activities that are drawing down on different resources can be as useful as just doing one thing and then resting by
0: sitting or then another thing that that actually might not always be so useful that's a really important point actually and and um, i think that that latter point that you made about you know how some things drain us and other things don't is really important um one of the things that uh, one of the questions that we had was um from someone who said uh, she doesn't really understand you know how um She she struggles to clean her home, but she can walk um, ten to fifteen thousand steps a day, and that's absolutely fine. So I think I think that's you know a really important point that you make uh, in terms of finding out what's what's your particular drain. Absolutely. Um, So we had um, some general questions in. these cover, I think, a range of different areas. But um, uh, the team picked them out because they felt that they reflected kind of uh, more than one person. Um, uh, so, so the first one was: um, my partner is just a few days out of hospital. He amazed me with how interactive he was, but in the afternoons he barely knows me and can hardly talk. Why is this?
1: Um, again, I think. Um, It might be that example of, uh, you know, kind of lots of apps needing to be opening at once that have drained the battery. So uh, when he's maybe in the morning, um, he might have had a reasonable um, replenishment of his resources overnight. Um, So he's ready to go. So he participates in all the comings and goings and whatever is going on in the morning. But in doing so, perhaps has ended up um, really reducing his energy beyond which um, it's easy to replenish without stopping. And so doesn't have sufficient energy then in the afternoon necessarily to do the things that he wants to do in the same way. And we see that quite commonly in people that they, you know, as a a very understandable coping strategy, wake up, have a bit of energy, pile everything into the morning, and then at the in the afternoon, it's very difficult. So one idea might be to spread out the demands across the day and, and having those replenishing activities, and I'll call them an activity rather than the rest in between those uh those times but also my question would also be about noticing the early warning signs as we talked about earlier on that maybe the fatigue is draining and i need to just stop a little bit sooner whilst i've still got a bit more energy in the tank so that i so that i do have sufficient energy left for things that are going on later in the day
0: yeah I think that's really important um and you've just uh covered um the the next person's question which was talking about you know being home after three weeks in hospital sleeping I'm sleeping well but after two days I feel like I've walked into a brick wall and I I'm also really emotional wondering how long this will last and I know when we talk to people we talk to people about being on this roller coaster And when they feel good they do way too much and then they come down and then they have a good day and do too much again and then and they're on this like roller coaster the whole time and I, I think that's that's really what what you're getting at you know as well as spreading out those replenishment activities as you talked about and spreading out those periods of other activity whether you're doing something physical or something mental and yeah otherwise they just end up on the fatigue roller coaster
1: yeah, and it, it is a roller coaster. And the other thing is it, it, that you mentioned there was about that, that that person was describing a sense of uncertainty about this. And this is why I touched on the topic of kind of an emotional fatigue when people have had something like encephalitis or any other kind of uh, often acquired brain injury. It's it, it's often a sudden thing. It's come out of the blue. It's completely disrupted everything. For some people, it it, it may have been life threatening. And yeah, you know, all they want to do is get out of hospital. And then when they get out of hospital, it's kind of like that's often when it hits. You know, the emotion of actually have what they've been through, what their family members have been through, and uh, you know, there is a lot of uncertainty associated with many um, types of neurological conditions in terms of how much better will I get and how fast. And living with uncertainty is exhausting. And I think all of us have experienced that a little bit with this COVID and when, when are we going to come out and, you know, and be able to do things again, all of us want a bit of a sense of certainty so that we can plan. And when you're living with persistent fatigue, life becomes very uncertain or feels very uncertain. You know, how do I know that I can say yes to that event that's happening next week? I don't know how I'm going to feel. Um, So, you know, we can have our internal conversations with ourselves and maybe be worrying, sometimes you know explicitly sometimes it's all going on worrying away in the back of our minds that takes resources that takes energy so i think we also need to be kind to ourselves and accept that you know um you know when you're living with with long-term conditions uh feeling learning to feel comfortable with a level of of kind of the unknown and having to therefore So say what, what, where are my resources today and what was I intending to do and do I think I still got the resources to handle that and is there a better way of combining my activities so maybe I can or maybe moving something. I thought I could do today but actually I don't know that I've got the resources to do that to somewhere else, and everybody will have their own sort of challenges in trying to do that. Um, and this is why pacing, which is often a word that's used in relation to fatigue management, you know, you just need to learn to pace. It's an incredibly difficult, time-consuming thing to learn how to do. It's not something where something to say, "Aha! Here's the timetable for you. This is what's going to make all the difference." It's learning what your body can do on a day-to-day basis and how your resources fluctuate and the impact of your lifestyle and your resources on how you then are able to pace your activities
0: yeah no that's an important point Uh, i was talking a slightly different topic but i was talking to um doing a podcast with rebecca adlington yesterday we were recording it and she was talking about um embracing different feelings like how there's some feelings if we're feeling good um or or even if we we and I'm talking normal, but not the fatigue necessarily associated with neurological conditions. But if we're feeling tired, we embrace those things and we just accept them. But if we get a feeling that we're uncomfortable with, such as feeling a bit panicky, feeling a bit anxious, instead of acknowledging it and embracing it, she was saying, we try and suppress it. We try and push it away. And actually, you end up then or, or in the circumstances she was talking about and ending up then having bigger problems, because you weren't embracing it, you weren't acknowledging it. And and so I think, yeah, I think that's, that is important. And also, we mustn't forget, as you also mentioned, some people have been very, very poorly, and they've been in intensive care units, which have their own entire literature in terms of the drain that they take and the trauma that they can cause to people um, as a result of being in in ICU. And, and again, we've seen that more than ever during COVID. Um, so, yeah, I, I can't remember. I was listening to um, I think it was a Royal Society of Medicine podcast and they were talking about there's there's a criteria for torture. And we do nearly all of them in an <laughs> intensive care unit, actually, not, <laughs> not intentionally, not to traumatise people. But, you know, having lights on all the time, there being noise, you know, um, uh, those kind of things. So uh, these are different environments that people have, have uh, come out of. And I guess early on it is to be expected that people need to rest for, you know, significant periods of time that might feel unusual. I know we certainly get calls. We think, well, they're sleeping 19 hours a day. What do I do? And it's like, let them sleep.
1: Yeah, <laughs> like yeah ab- abs- absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's it's an exhausting time. And I think the other thing I'd just sort of say, add on to there, is it's also an exhausting time for um, family members who, who have going through that that process as well both people need to be kind to each other and so it's about managing expectations I guess you know you've been through um like I said a roller coaster um, whether it's a fatigue but you've certainly been on a roller coaster and it's not necessarily a ride you chose to get on and you're not entirely quite sure where the end of it is and I'm not somebody that likes roller coasters so you know it it, it, we just have to sort of I suppose be kind to ourselves and acknowledge that and, and allow ourselves time to recover and that's hard when you can't if you like see the injury, as I was saying about um, the client group that I work with, you know, when you've got somebody, you know, if you've got a broken arm and you've got a plaster on it, it's kind of a reminder that, you know, that arm takes time to heal. And then you might need to do some rehab afterwards to continue to recover, to get it uh, better or back to where it was before. And when you have neurological Um, injuries and disability the time course is much longer it's much more uncertain you can't see what's going on and so you have to learn to tune into your own body to work out how much you can push yourself on any given day Um, and that is then hard for somebody on the outside to understand particularly if you can do like one you can do it one day and why not the other like we had as an example earlier on you know um can i just say fatigue is not laziness that's that's one of the 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 kind of narratives that keeps coming up it's not a lack of motivation you just don't have the resources to do the things you want to do and sustain that over time Um, and that must be a really horrible feeling yeah
0: really important things in there you are not malingerers people if you're listening to this you absolutely are not and uh, carers you know that was another point you made carers you must look after yourselves um so yeah some really important things there well you're um we don't want to make things easy for you so your final question is a double uh, a double whammy um so you might have to think hard about this because it might be complicated um But the final question was what three pieces of advice would you give to someone with fatigue? And the second part of the question is, where else can people go who need help on this issue?
1: That is a good one to stop and think about. I'll answer the easy one first while my brain is still wearing in the background. Um, In terms of other sources of information, um, a number of organizations have um, information resources, some of which I've written, um, to actually help uh, people sort of understand and manage fatigue. and so look on websites like the Capitalized Society, like Stroke Association, like uh, the Headway, um, uh, like sudden Cardiac Arrest. That's a, a one that I've been involved with recently, uh, where fatigue following survivors of of cardiac arrest has become uh, known to be a more prevalent issue. Um, I think, you know, fatigue is Fatigue is real following an illness, it needs to be addressed and taken seriously by clinicians. Um, Keep going back to your GP, your doctor, and ask to see a therapist that can help you understand and manage your fatigue, because it's not a one size fits all. There are people out there. and learn to be kind to yourself. Uh, I know none of those are kind of treatment options or management options, but I I do think people, um, you know, just think if I just try a bit harder, if I just do a bit more, maybe. And I think, you know, it's kind of listen to your body, listen to what your body needs and work with somebody to help learn what works best for you, to maximise your resources and enable you to to, to do the things that are important to you. Um, uh, As I said, there is no one-size-fits-all approach and we're starting, and I think COVID in particular, because fatigue has been such a prevalent symptom, has kind of regenerated interest in people who have persistent fatigue, um, to be honest, it's it's things that the, the 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 chronic fatigue syndrome community have been sort of shouting about for years. You know, we need to look at people who are experiencing long term fatigue and not just consider it as something where you've just got to you know uh, you know just get on with it or whatever. There are things that we can do to help and understanding what what your personal um, vulnerability factors might be and what your personal trigger situations might be can help you to put yourself back in charge of your own resources again. Um, so I think that's more than three, so I probably yeah. want to start now.
0: <laughs> well, I think this three, This I heard three things in, in amongst m- many other things there, but one, there are experts that can help. Two, ask for that help and keep asking if you don't get it first time and three as you said be kind to yourselves we can all be just too hard on ourselves can't we Mm -hmm. uh yeah um well look just before we bring the podcast to a close is there anything else that you'd like to say donna or anything that you feel i've forgotten to cover that's important uh
1: no it's a really complex area but watch this space because the research into this is is expanding and i think We are going to be, uh, over the next few years, learning more and more about what's going to be helpful for people to manage uh, their their fatigue following different kinds of um, uh, medical events. Um, and also from the technology side, as I said, you know, it, there probably will be um, gadgets, devices, apps uh, that are going to be helpful and take the load off kind of monitoring um, uh, and understanding and gathering the information that we need to help us make make um uh, choices about how we want to use our energy. And I suspect that's going to take off um very quickly in in uh, in the next few years too. So there's lots
0: of hope for the future. I think I'll end on that note. I think that's an important note to end on. I'm just gonna I'm gonna take you this way. The entire podcast, I've been hearing snoring from the other room. Uh, so I just thought show some people don't have any problems with that. Their- <laughs> with their sleep you see do Ava you?
1: I have a I, I am also going to get up and
0: we like to mix things up on these podcasts
1: we do like to be informal oh you've woken up now have you <laughs> there we go yeah yes I often that? my office mate for the during the pandemic has has snored away through many a meeting and a uh, and an appointment with a client it's very distressing <laughs> what's what's their name He's called Sunny,
0: Mister Sunshine when he's being formal. <laughs> Sunshine or Sunny, so people you've seen Casper the dog and Mister Sunshine or Sunny the cat today <laughs> the just don't get any better. Um, look, we've covered an awful lot. We're really grateful to you for taking the time to chat with us, um, Donna. Pleasure. Um, You know, for people that are listening, the Encephalitis Society services remain unaffected. So if you need any support or information, our teams continue to be at your service. Go to encephalitis.info for contact details or to chat online. And of course, uh, like many charities, you know, things are very difficult for us with 18 months of not being able to do any fundraising. So if you found the podcast helpful uh, and if you can make a donation, go to encephalitis.info forward slash donate. But most of all, keep washing your hands, um, get vaccinated and um, get get sleeping.